0: Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. Today, we're continuing the series that we began last week. And the series is called Encountering God. How do we actually encounter God? I mean, is this whole thing real? Is talk of God, is faith, is what we do over Sunday, uh, just some kind of human invention for those of us who are a little emotionally weak, can't stand on our own two feet, we need some kind of religious crutch just to help make life make sense, to uh, just make us feel better about ourselves. Or is there something more to it? Is there something more to it? And there is story after story after story after story after story in this room alone this morning of people who have encountered God in such an incredibly real and life transforming way that they know that they know that they know, you know, this is not some kind of wild and crazy ride There is such incredible substance to it because God is. And God is the author of life. He is the creator of us. Everything about us, everything woven into our DNA speaks of God. So there are so many different ways that we encounter God. And I've started last week and as I said last time, continuing this week just on the first point. Uh, which is about encountering God's love. Uh, And this topic of God's love is a huge topic. In fact, I've I've preached a whole series just on this one point alone uh, previously. But last time we looked at how we see God's love expressed throughout the pages of God's Word. There were three specific ways that I dug into. First of all, we spoke about God's love being universal. That is, God loves everybody. Christ died for the whole world. There is not a single person that you can meet on the street whom God does not love. He loves His creation. So that is the universal aspect of God's love. Then we kind of had a brief dive into the fact that God's love is also a covenant love. What does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament, under what we call the Old Covenant, God made promises to a chosen people, the nation of Israel, and He made a covenant promise with them. And He says, I love you because I love you because I love you, not because you're better than anybody else, simply because I've chosen you to fulfill my purpose on the face of the earth. And so He made a covenant, and it's a covenant of love with the people of Israel. Now we fast forward to the New Testament, the new covenant under Jesus, And we discovered that the object of God's affection under the new covenant extends to his church, which is wonderful because that includes you and I today. God's covenant love expressed towards his people, his church. But then the third point, which is what we're going to unpack even more today, is the fact that God's love is personal. It's individual. And one of the most profound truths, and yet the simplest truth, that you can grab a hold of and appropriate for yourself is the fact that God loves you. God loves you. God breathes life into your body. He loves you. So we're going to uh, continue this today. And I really encourage you to get a hold of last week's message, either through the online link uh, or it will be live on the app this week as well. What does God's love look like? And how can I personally experience God's love? On what basis do I experience God's love? Jesus tells a story, a parable, and in this parable, and it's probably one of his best known parables, he uses this parable to illustrate what God's love is like. And it's the story of the prodigal son. You can follow along as I read. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. (coughs) After he had spent everything... Have food to spare. And yet here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet bring the fattened calf and kill it let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found so they began to celebrate meanwhile the older son was in the fields one of the great, great stories of Jesus. And if this story is a picture of God's love, then the father in this story is a representation of God. And there's something really important for us to understand in the context of this story, and that's this, that the father's attitude toward the younger son never changed no matter what he did. He never stopped loving his son no matter what that son did. But even the nature of the father's unconditional love extended towards his son, it became something that was such a revelation. It was a turning point for this young man that totally transformed him. That through the story, the son came to experience the father's love in a way that he never had before. Again, verse 11, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now under Jewish law, and you read it in the book of Deuteronomy, when an inheritance is divided, the older son gets a double portion. So because there were only two sons in this family, it meant the younger son actually received a third of his father's estate. Now, when he asked for his share, there's a part of you that thinks, man, the father is a total pushover. But it says he divided his property between them. I don't think the father was a pushover at all. I reckon the father totally knew the nature of his son. And I reckon his son probably would have said, well, Dad, if you give me my share in the inheritance, you can trust me with it. I'm not going to blow it. I'm not going to waste it. Um, I'll probably invest most of it. And I might even start a small business. Now, as much as it would have pained his father's heart, his father would have known because he knows his son that none of that's ever going to happen. In fact, he will waste it. And the son did waste it. Proverbs 20 and 21 says, an inheritance... Quickly gained at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. And let me say this as a warning this morning. We really need to guard our hearts against any temptation to get sucked in to some kind of get rich quick scheme. There's no such thing as a legitimate promise to earn huge rewards. For little or no effort or investment. And we've got to guard ourselves against that kind of greed. But the father, even though he knew the nature of his son, he still cashed out and gave his son a third of all that he had. And he let him go. Now that is a huge, huge risk. It's a huge risk on behalf of the Father. But here's the thing. God takes similar risks with you and I. God always will let us go our own way. He doesn't force his love upon us. He doesn't force us to follow him. He doesn't demand that we love him, demand that we follow him, demand that we obey him. If we want to go, God will always let us go. So the son goes and we're told he goes to a far off country. Doesn't tell us where he went, but he went to a far off country. And it's interesting because when people do rebel, they often run away from home and they go to a place where they can be anonymous. They can go to a place where nobody knows them so they can do whatever they want to do. And at first, I'm sure for this young guy, he had plenty of cash in his pocket, so he would have been the life of the party. He would have had plenty of friends because he had plenty of money. But then the day came where where the money ran out. And when the money runs out, often the friends run out. Then it tells us a famine came into that country and this guy at his lowest of low point, got a job feeding pigs. And there's a, a, a detail there that is really, really significant because for a Jew to feed pigs, where pigs are an unclean animal, this would have been the lowest of the low point of humiliation We know he went off to a far country. He must have done because even to this day, it is illegal to keep pigs in Israel. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out, go back to my father and say to him, and here is the rehearsed speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. That's his strategy. But we need to note his attitude here. He didn't say, well, I'm going to go back and demand that my father love me. No, I'm going to go back and just be honest. I'm just going to go back and and just say, Dad, I've messed up. I've sinned. And it is a beautiful picture of repentance. And it would have been that profound sense of deep and genuine repentance that allowed him to experience his father's love in a way that he never had before. Now I'm sure that as he was heading down that dusty road towards his home, that the last thing he would ever have expected is the reception that he got. And again, he didn't return home thinking, I deserve this. He didn't return home thinking, I'm, I'm worthy of anything. I ought to be loved and because he's my father, he's actually obligated to love me. No, he was so sorry, so truly repentant. And he came back to his father with no demands. He basically came back with an attitude that says, Father... I've basically disqualified myself. I no longer have the right to call myself your son. Just make me like one of your hired servants. And that was the spirit in which, with which he returned home. Then verse 20 says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And I wonder in that period of time that he was absent from the father, how often the father looked out, scanned the horizon, praying that his son would return. And then one day there's a dot on the horizon and he recognizes it's somebody walking this way. And very quickly he realizes it's his son. And straight away he ran to his son and to his son's surprise, threw his arms round him and hugged him and began to kiss him. And there is something beautiful in this that you recognize the son had continued to love. Sorry, the father had continued to love the son the whole time he'd been away. And in that moment, the father calls his servants to bring the best robe, to put a ring on his finger, to give him some dignity back. And the son began to say his rehearsed speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and you and I I don't deserve to be called your son. And I love the fact that his father interrupts him before he gets to the part about, make me like one of your hired servants. And instead he throws a party for him. And in that moment, the son had an experience of the father's love in a way that he never had before. And maybe I'm stretching the point a little bit this morning because this is a pretty simple parable. But maybe one of the reasons the father let him go is because the son had to be totally broken to discover how much he was loved. And the truth is that many, many people never really encounter the truth of God's love for them until they've hit rock bottom and they find themselves in their own pig pen. And here's the truth for us parents. Maybe for some of us as parents, we know what it's like to have to have had to let our children go. And as you watch them go over the horizon, your heart breaks for them. And it's a high risk strategy. But maybe in letting them go, that's where they're going to meet God. Amen. You see, there's a contrast in this story. Because the older son, the good boy, the boy who stayed at home, the boy who had been devoted, totally devoted to his father's service, all of those years, he becomes really resentful. And I'm sure people would have said of that boy, man, you're a good kid. You're a good first son. And again, the older son, totally devoted to his father's household. He could have rightly, as he did say to his father, I've done everything that you asked of me. I've done everything you wanted me to do. And the neighbors would have chimed in and said to the father, He's such a good son. But the problem with the elder boy is that he knew the father's rules, he kept the father's rules, but it would seem he knew nothing of the father's heart. And it's interesting that the context of this story is actually a part of a conversation that Jesus is having with a group of Pharisees. If we back up to verse 1, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Never forget that verse when you're reflecting upon the story of the prodigal son. Because the context makes the story so much more powerful. Because these Pharisees, like the older brother, knew all about the Father's law and they kept it. The Pharisees were renowned for their righteousness as far as their external behaviour was concerned. They were renowned for knowing the law, for reciting the law, for being disciplined to the law disciplined to meeting the requirements of the law, but they knew nothing of the Father's heart. Now there's a warning for us because I think at times if we're honest, we can become a little bit too much like the older son or like the Pharisees. Which means we feel okay about ourselves if I can tick a few character boxes. I feel okay about myself if I can just discipline myself to keep a certain set of rules, God's going to be really impressed with me because of my disciplined behaviour. And then in that self-righteous moment, we begin to look down our noses at the people who we think don't deserve God's love, don't deserve the friendship of Jesus. But for each one of us, when we peel away that self-righteousness, then in that place of humility, we can actually become aware of our own brokenness. And maybe it's when we wake up in our own pig pen one day that we finally come to our senses and we say, God, I'm a mess. Because it's an acknowledgement of our unworthiness as it was for the son, the younger son in the story, that brings us back to the love of the Father. It's not our worth. It's our unworthiness. And if we really want to encounter God's love, the first thing we've got to do is realise how much we need Him. And like the prodigal son, being honest about the fact that I, I just don't deserve God's love, It's actually a great day when we wake up and go, I'm just a mess. But then to know that God is just like the Father in this story. And His grace and His mercy and His love extends even to that place of deepest sin. And we might feel unworthy. And at that point, God in His love and grace Reaches out like the father in the story. He'll grab a hold of you. He'll put his arms around you. He'll kiss you. He'll put the robe on you. And he'll say, welcome home. Friends, do you need to come back to him today? There comes a time when you wake up, when you come to your senses and you say, I need to go home. Not to demand anything of the father but to come home in humility and repentance and discover His love is waiting for you. Friends, it's time to come home.